0: Good morning. How is everybody? It's amazing through this whole process how God has confirmed this sermon, and I'll share some of that with you in the middle of it. But even this morning, Bob chose these songs, having no clue of my sermon, and the words are, keep me singing as I go. Keep me singing as I go, present tense. And Mike, as he was coming down off the platform, said, The joy of the Lord, he repeated that verse and said, The joy of the Lord is so great, we can hardly contain it. And that is exactly the message of my sermon today, was joy and your expression of joy. So praise the Lord. In Psalm Psalm 16, verses 5 through 11, My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, now as we study the subject of joy and your intent with it in our lives and its purpose, may the scriptures come alive for us. May we hear your words, and may they impact our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. A few weeks ago, Pastor played a Gaither song, video, actually, if you remember. And the video was titled, I Then Shall Live. And the opening lyrics of that song were, I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. I'll walk with joy to know my debts are paid. Walk with joy, what does that mean? It implies present tense. It implies constancy. It implies that there will be evidence of that joy. So I read to you one of David's psalms that said, he fills me with joy in your presence. Chapter Psalm 16. Now to go down to Psalm 51 verses 12 and 13. David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Whoa, let's hold it right there. Restore? What do you think happened between Psalm 16 and Psalm 51? Something went south. Okay, so David evidently lost his joy. He's having trouble getting it back again. He knows he needs an attitude adjustment. More often than not, I can typically do something in and of myself to improve my attitude. I can take a break, I can talk it out with somebody. I can eat. But then there's been occasions when I and most likely you, needed to ask God to change our hearts, to change my heart, to improve my attitude in order to make me feel better, to make me less frustrated, to make me not harbor negative feelings towards a person or a situation. So is that why David started out verse, chapter 51 the same way? I want each of you, and we'll come back to Psalm 51. I want each of you to think of somebody you know or have met that fits this bill. If they're having so much fun, why aren't they smiling? Or if they're so happy, why don't they notify their face? Come on, you know who I mean. Relatives, neighbors, people at work, right? Maybe they aren't Christians, so we can't expect any different, but maybe they are. Then what do you think? Have you ever been around folks that my dad would have referred to as a sourpuss? What impact do they have on you? What do we think when we're around sour-faced Christians, those devoid of happy faces, those displaying expressions of boredom, lack of enthusiasm, does it matter? Since when we're pointing the fingers at others, we're pointing our thumb right back at us, the next question we have to ask is, do I fit that bill? Does it matter? As a Christian, does it matter more? Let me ask you a little riddle and you tell me what, what I am. What am I? A blank costs nothing but gives much. It enriches those who receive it without making poorer those who give it. It takes but a moment, but the memory of it can sometimes last forever. None is so rich or mighty that he cannot get along without it, and none is so poor he cannot be made rich by it. Yet a blank cannot be bought, begged, borrowed, or stolen, for it is something that is of no value to anyone until it is given away. What is it? A smile, exactly, very good. I am reminded of two quotes. The first one was by W.C. Fields. Start every day with a smile and get it over with. (laughs) The second quote is actually by an author unknown, and it says, of all the things we wear, our expression is the most important. So where do you fall? Do we ever think about it? Is what we think they see really different from what they would say they see? Are we really aware of what our face is saying? The second quote that I quoted obviously is the the accurate quote. It's actually biblical and it's the one we need to think about. What I'm referring to is Christian joy and its expression in our countenance. Our countenance, per theologian Webster, the appearance of a person's face, a person's expression. In studying for this sermon, the Holy Spirit provided me insight into a few things. The first is that joy is his fruit. So when we have the Holy Spirit, we do have joy in us. But also that we are to be joyful, which means we have to do something with it, i.e., we have to show it on the outside. But then the Holy Spirit drew me to a new observation. The fruits of the Spirit are outlined in Galatians 5.22. You know them. They go love, joy, peace, etc., jesus had said that love loving god and loving each other are the first and second greatest commandments so it made perfect sense to me that love was listed first but then i noticed further the order of the fruit that joy is second on the list right after love the most important one is that important could it be that joy is almost as important as love i had to ask myself why is it listed second how important is it if it is important why is it important Perhaps it's more important than we think, and it needs our conscious attention. Joy produces or should produce evidence of itself, action, expression. The scripture is full of examples, make a joyful noise. Jesus leapt in the womb, sing for joy, shout for joy, dance with joy. The list goes on and on. Sounds to me like we're actually commanded to be joyful, to be it, to do it, to show it. Does it therefore not stand to reason that our joy should be evident in our countenance? Hey, wait a minute. The Bible says that God looks at the heart. That's true, but we can't. And have we noticed the beginning of that same verse? That man looks at the outward appearance. Why? Because that's all we can see. That is all others can see. That is all non-Christians can see in us. Man cannot see Our joy of the Lord until it makes its way from our heart up to our face. Dare we ask ourselves if we really have joy? Dare we ask ourselves if we are really allowing the Holy Spirit to control our lives, producing his fruit? Dare we ask ourselves the ultimate question, do we have the Holy Spirit? Let's see what God has to say on this subject. I'm going to go through some Old Testament scriptures and then some New Testament scriptures. In the Old Testament, to understand it, God came and went with his people in and out. God's presence came and went. And people went in and out of the presence of God. God gave or removed his presence. For example, the radiance came and went on Moses' face, which he covered with a veil. But in the New Testament, since Jesus came, he removed that veil once and for all. There is no putting a veil over our face. Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 and 35. When Moses came down, he did not realize his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He had been in the presence of the Lord and he glowed. Radiant. Do we glow? Psalm 34, verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. As Christians, we look to him. Do we radiate? Do others see our internal joy radiating out of us? I think of the old-time radiators. Remember the old-time radiators? I'm dating myself now. We had them in our bathroom. You went to the bathroom really quickly because they left no doubt of the heat coming out of those radiators. It emanated from them. Do others doubt our heat, our fire, or the Lord when they look at our expressions? How about Isaiah 51, verse 3? This was written as encouragement to the Jewish remnant who were scattered on what they would become when they returned from Babylonian captivity. And this encouragement went like this. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. How will it be found? How would it be found in her? It would be seen. In their faces by others Isaiah 55 verse 12 you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace the mountains and hills will burst into song before you that's some pretty powerful results of going out in joy what would those results look like on their effect on others Isaiah 60 verse 5 the glory this was describing the glory of Israel in the millennial kingdom to come it says then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. In other words, you will look radiant and you will be radiant. So that's good news for us. We can look and be radiant. That's our countenance. Before I move on to the New Testament, I want to share the coolest thing that happened to me when I was finished or thought I was finished doing this sermon. I went up to bed and I've been reading this book. It's an old book called Just Like Jesus by Max Licato. And I had been reading, I was flipping through the book, looking to see where I had left off the night before. And all of a sudden I noticed a title on one of his in one of his chapters and it said, Reflecting His Glory. I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? I had read it before, but it certainly hadn't landed, okay? But of course, I hadn't done the sermon at the time when I read it before. I almost dropped the book. Of course, now I was glued. So let me read you an excerpt out of this book on this section that I stumbled across called Reflecting His Glory, per Max Lucado. As you do reflect his glory, as you do, you'll discover the purpose of worship, to change the face of the worshiper. This is exactly what happened to Christ on the mountain. Jesus' appearance was changed. His face became bright like the sun. The connection between the face and worship is more than coincidental. Our face is the most public part of our bodies covered less than any other area it is almost the most recognizable part of our body it is also the most recognizable part of our bodies we don't fill a school yearbook with photos of people's feet but rather with photos of faces god desires to take our faces this exposed and memorable part of our bodies and use them to reflect his goodness this change in us brings even ever greater glory we all show the Lord's glory, and we're becoming changed to be like him. Paul writes, our faces then are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory. We are being changed. This change brings greater glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God invites us to see his face so he can change our face. He uses our uncovered faces to display his glory. The transformation isn't easy. The sculptors of Mount Rushmore had a far easier task. Our Lord is up to the task. He loves to change the faces of his children. By his fingers, wrinkles of worry are rubbed away. Shadows of shame and doubt become portraits of grace and trust. He relaxes clenched jaws and smooths furrowed brows. His touch can remove the bags of exhaustion from beneath the eyes and turn tears of despair into tears of peace, which results in clear evidence on our faces and our countenance so i was dumbstruck i was sitting in the bed i had been working on my sermon was done now i had to go back to my sermon because i had all this good stuff from max lakedo and it was just so exciting to see that god was confirming what he had given me as the message he was giving me these gold nuggets with perfect timing and i just sat there i got so happy inside as Mike said, it was hard to contain it. I just sat upstairs in the bed and smiled and smiled and smiled. I couldn't stop smiling. I couldn't contain it. I'm not supposed to contain it. I smiled at God. I smiled at the dog. Um, I smiled at everything. If Mark would have walked in, my husband, he would have known I was mental. I just sat there grinning because it was exciting. So what then I realized that that inner joy I had at that moment from reading that confirmation had made it from my heart to my face and I could not stop smiling. The next morning I wake up at 6 a.m. and he had quoted in that book, I flipped a little bit forward that night before I went to bed to Romans 12:12, 12, 12, And it said, let your hope keep you joyful. Be patient in your troubles and pray at all times. Whoa, I couldn't believe my eyes. What word jumped off the page at me was keep. Let it keep you joyful. So then, when I woke up at 6 a.m., I'm like, what if Max Lucada had it wrong? So I ran downstairs, had to see my Bible, had to look up Romans 12, 12. There it was. But then I looked up and read verse 11, one verse earlier. And this is what it said. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Okay, by this point, I'm like in total disbelief, speechless, if you can believe that of me. Never lack zeal, never lose your fervor, Trust me, if we can obey God in just that one verse, our faces will follow. Our countenance is going to be there. Our excitement will show and we will be all smiles. And others will see. Let's go to the New Testament verses. Luke 10:17. Jesus had just sent out 72 people to preach and to heal. The 72, according to Luke, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, how did Luke know they had joy? You see it. It showed externally on their faces. Do others see our joy when they see us coming? John chapter 15, verses 10 through 11 and 16. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may remain in you and that your joy will be complete. And now I'll jump to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Hmm. Jesus' clear intention here is that we remain joyful. The first question is why? That leads to the second question, which is in verse 16, I believe, the answer. What is the fruit? Because we're appointed to bear fruit that will last. What is this fruit that we're appointed to bear? Fruit that will last. There's clearly a link here between Jesus mentioning his joy, i.e. that second in the list of the fruit of the spirit joy, and Jesus did just explicitly mention his joy in those verses. So what is the fruit that will last? What is the real purpose of that joy, the importance of that joy being constantly with us? But the fruit that will last be solved? Could our external bearing or portrayal of the fruit of the Spirit of joy or lack thereof have a lasting effect on the kingdom? Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's gl- glory are being transformed. The question is, what do we reflect? We're expected to reflect his glory. And notice the word unveiled. Since Christ came, as I said earlier, there's no covering up. When our radiance fades, as Moses did, others see us all the time. And what they see is what they get. So to apply this to our lives, why is this so important? Jesus himself gave us that answer again in John 15:16. So our joy will be complete and therefore bear fruit that will last. The bottom line is this. Our countenance, our faces, our expressions do have a lasting effect on the kingdom of God because they have the potential to positively or negatively affect others' interest in, desire for, or decision for a relationship with Christ. And he is their only point of entry into the kingdom of God. Our countenance tells others something about the Jesus living in us. Salvation brings joy living for Jesus is exciting. We must reflect the true Christ. Anything else we're not portraying truth to others. God wants us to notify our faces continually. God wants us to change our faces to reflect him to others. Do others see us as excited or lackadaisical? When they see us at church, do we appear engaged or distracted? Do we reflect excitement or boredom? Are we wearing smiles or frowns? What are we saying to the unsaved with our countenance? We want to be an attractor, not a detractor. We want to draw others to Christ, not repel them from him. We want our demeanor to turn people to Christ, not turn them off. Jesus wants our faces expressing the truth about the real joy of having salvation and the joy of walking daily in relationship with him so that they may desire it too. What did the verse say? Let your light so shine before men so they may what? Be who? Your father in heaven. It's critically important that we reflect because that shows them our father in heaven. We don't want to give them a false picture of that. Hopefully, as his followers, we want the same thing that Jesus wants. And since I can only control myself, I must ask myself this question. If I want others to see Jesus in me, do I need to adjust my countenance? Do I need a facelift? In light of what Jesus said to us in John 15, chapter 6, verse 16, let us now go back to David's Psalm 51 and read the rest of it. Because I asked the question, Why did David pray the same thing? Lord, restore my joy. Why? Psalm 51, verses 12 and 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. There's the why. David, I mean, after God's own heart, In conclusion, one of the biggest indictments against Christians is that they profess to have this wonderful, joyful, love-bearing relationship with Christ, but then they model something totally different, either in their countenance, their actions, or both. Life with Jesus produces sweet fruit, not sour grapes. I feel sure that all of us want to portray him and the joy of him to others in truth. I hope and pray that I have never inadvertently turned others away from him through my demeanor, my attitude, and or outward expressions. And I could bank on the fact that I have probably done that at some point in time. I pray for forgiveness in that case. And I pray the same for each of us. For heaven's sake... For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of lost souls, we must constantly be mindful, be aware of what we are really portraying to others. For God is calling us to let our countenance count. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Please forgive us our complacency. Speak to each of us right where we are, and keep us ever mindful of the importance of what we project as Christians. Help us be purposeful in our